बट इफ दिस वर्ल्ड इज कंसील्ड गॉड इफ दिस इज ईशा वास्यम इदम सर्वम देन दिस वर्ल्ड हैज टू वन डे रिवील द डिवाइन हिडन सो माया एज इन द ट्रू सेंस माया कम्स फ्रॉम यू नो वी यूज द वर्ड मात्रा वी यूज द वर्ड माता शी इज द वन हु ब्रेक्स द इनफाइनाइट शी कैनॉट ब्रेक बिकॉज नथिंग कैन ब्रेक द इनफाइनाइट बट शी मेक्स द इनफाइनाइट अपियर फाइनाइट दैट इज द मार्वल ऑफ माया यू नो आई एम इनफाइनाइट बट आई सी माई सेल्फ एज ए फाइनाइट अपियरेंस द वॉर्म इज इनफाइनाइट बट इट इज सीन एज फाइनाइट नाउ दिस इट डज बिकॉज एकम बीजम बहुधायत करोशी the one has to become many why is to become many so that the ananda of oneness can turn into ananda of many fold it's so multiplication of delight because delight is the root of existence and the end of it there has to be a many fold multiplication of delight shobindu puts it very beautifully he says imagine if in a honeycomb each honeycomb that each part could taste each other part every other part that is the kind of delight which is going to be at the end of creation not end but at the you know when the drama enters from avidyamay to the vidyamay maya because maya is also two types one which so called creates finite appearances and the second which always shows you the oneness behind appearances where science has already stepped into into that field of oneness so basically the word maya was not in the original sense meant as totally negating life what it meant was things are not what they appear to be and this is something very true even science tells us you know in its own way that this is solid yet it is not solid you know this is floating in space so maya essentially is that which makes the infinite appear finite and the first step in sadhana is to get back to that infinite who hides behind the finite so in that stage of evolution i suppose one could say if shubindu himself experienced incidentally uh, in very early even before he had the experience of um, vasudevam sarvamati much before he talked of the supramental even before the experience of nirvana he had the experience two experiences which were very powerful one he had the experience of the vacant infinite while walking on the ridge of solomon takte uh, suleman in in kashmir the second where he actually felt the whole world vanishing and appearing only as a cinema with no life in it so this experience now coming to you know shankara and shirbindu because we don't know where all shankara's experience went but my feeling is he went beyond the mayavad but you know unfortunately that is the one which is publicized but shirbindu definitely uh, had this experience of the world appearing as you know dissolving before itself but also he went beyond it because this question arises in the human consciousness that if it is only maya as we understand maya as if nothing then what is this drama about what is this pain and suffering about see uh, it's very easy for me to say when i live in my truth and bliss to say i am disconnected with your pain it doesn't matter to me but i feel if that is the goal then it's a very selfish goal then i i cannot imagine global harmony and peace coming by the way of the vedas there should be a way of vedas that it can annul not only my individual suffering but the collective suffering of humanity and it cannot be done by mental means it cannot be done by mere tolerance and preaching you know the external form of seva it can be done if human consciousness evolves to a consciousness which is beyond suffering and pain now that is the story of the upanishad but this evolution not negating because you know when the upanishad speaks about the seer it says very clearly tatra ko moha ka shoka ekatva manupashyata it is not saying that tatra ko moha kashoka when you are dissolved into the one it doesn't say that because that is understood you know when in nirvana you have dissolved there is no pain and sorrow but even while you are living 
in an embodied consciousness it is possible to enter into vastness and in that vastness sorrow and suffering is annulled now that is the path of the vedas which is very life affirmative so then you can lead a life yeah yeah jeevan mukta stage and yet uh, yeah, absolutely the jeevan mukta stage absolutely and, and then going even a step further going you know beyond the jeevan mukta yes absolutely rather you act from a new light that's where the uh, concept of rith comes because you know arjuna is being advocated to arrive at jeevan mukta but arjuna has to actively engage in the war now that's where the agni comes agni is the divine will the kritu who is working in man so behind every event there is a divine will but we act by an egoistic will mm-hmm. our choices are based on an egoistic stress of choice and that creates the problem and confusion in the world if you want to yeah Absolutely. That is relative truth and See the human consciousness uh, in today's time. See because we talk about making the Vedas relevant to the youth and modern age, but the problem is, I I I I would put it like this because this was my quest. You know, I'm really sharing that I wanted to know what is the link between these two truths. What you say is very true that there is a truth of appearance and there is a truth of reality, but uh, I want to know how they are connected because if that truth of reality is totally disconnected you know because it has nothing to do with this except that while you are here you have to lead somehow you know in a by a certain code of conduct which has been given to us and that truth is that truth impersonal vast but nothing to do with it then there is a schism which is created in the human experience or in the experiencing consciousness but in vedas we see that schism is healed it shows how to reach from here to there and then how to bring that here the marriage of earth and heaven so that way the first step is to go back from the truth of appearances to the truth of but the absolute truth tells you the relationship between the human beings what do you say about yes absolutely so see the realization that the every human soul is of the form of satvic jnana yes it helps him using embrace every fellow being as his own yes you see that vrahatam does for us but the problem practical problem of humanity is we need also rith the rith is necessary because otherwise my problem is if a terrorist is standing in front of me you see yoga has to be very pragmatic what should i do now should i embrace him with love should i kill him with love should i defend myself with love now at every point of time the rith and the agni are there to help us they will tell us what is the kartavyam karma in the gita the real sense of kartavyam karma is essentially that which is divine or it's not something which i can decide by my mental standards and yet as long as i have a mind i have to decide by mental standards that is understood that's where the extent shankara himself is an example yeah. though he was a jeevan mukta he didn't retire from life he went from the Yeah, yeah and it really he was very fortunate i must say that we karmani jiji visheshatam sama absolutely so that's where the life affirming spirituality is there it's not retirement from your responsibility yeah. 
Yeah, I think as long as we accept that, it's fair enough because, you see, personally I feel uh, I, I am a little worried of, you know, uh, discussions, debates, but I, I feel very frankly that a completest picture, I mean, this is without comparisons or without demeaning anyone because I do feel everybody's quest is beautiful and I have really respect for every man, every single soul which has aspiration in it and Shankara had a very powerful aspiration, there is no doubt about it. But what I feel is that the completest answer to the human problem, if at all we have to say, and in a language which is comprehensible to humanity, in a language which becomes relevant to us, is given by Shurabindo, which is really a completest possible answer to the human quest, and also the future. Because ultimately, what is the future? If the future of all the souls is to retire into some kind of a moksha, then the whole creation becomes irrelevant. But he says, no, creation is half finished, and which is in the line of the Vedic Rishis. If we really look at Vedas, they spoke of ascending into the Godhead and the Godheads growing in man. The, the man growing into the gods and the gods growing in man and a super nature and a super, which is, you know, the gods are representative of the powers of the one supreme. When these powers grow in our consciousness, embodied consciousness, then I can lead a life, existence, which is no more the ego-bound, desire-ridden existence, but an existence which is divine. I think if that we can understand that there is a divine way of living, uh, rather than just the ego-bound way of living, and the Vedas show us the path to arrive at that, that is good enough. Yeah. You would ask this one follow-up yeah. question, we don't mind. Yeah, yeah. And that is, uh, if Shri Aurobindo's uh, approach to life is, uh, is, is a complete approach to life, then can we perhaps take a lesson from uh, Shankara who traveled the length and the breadth of India, established four different months, what can we do to popularize Sri Aurobindo more? I see, really uh, see, personally I feel, uh, see, Sri Aurobindo has uh, said that what is the way to really do it. I do agree that truth must be, um, I wouldn't use the word spread, it sounds very evangelical. But truth must be revealed or it must, uh, you know, man's heart should be ignited by that light. That light should be received by man. But going in the line of the Vedas, I think the first step is for us to live that truth. And this is what Sri has said repeatedly, be an example. You see, I'll tell you, I feel very deeply disturbed sometimes, not disturbed in the human sense, the way, you know, that I'm recoiling or anything, no jugupsa. But when I see people speak about Gita, they speak about Vedas, they speak about Upanishad, and they do exactly what happens in the Durga Pandal. You know, there is a goddess Durga, next to it there is an orchestra with all kinds of romantic songs being sung, and we have lost all our sense of sincerity. So we talk about Vedas and the moment we come out, we are full of our ego. Where is the question of, you know, even, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you are a very sensitive person, deeply inwardly developed, so you would have noticed it's so crude and vulgar to have an ostentatious display of the ego, to have claps over humanity. Whom are we worshipping? Indras and Maruts and the great gods or ourselves? All self-aggrandizement, all self-glorification is a stamp of the Asura. And the gods cannot come there. And we have to be sincere. So if we are sincere, any of us stands anywhere, he will ignite. See, Paraman said something very beautiful. Ah, if you have the fire, you will light fire. If you don't have fire, if there is smoke, I may speak about fire. But I have neither seen fire, I have nor felt fire. I have let alone not lit the god Agni. In fact, I have done everything to send God Agni back to his home. Then, you know, that speaking has little... Re in fact, it becomes very repulsive. Because imagine, 
we go to a conference, I, I'm not talking of this conference, but I've been to many, many conferences all over the world, and I've seen people speak very nice things, very beautiful things, but in their life, they step out, you know, people are touching their feet, and you know, they are absolutely enjoying it. What is this? And how will our youth appreciate it? Because they must see as living example, that when people talk about Nishkam Karma, then they don't, you know, take a begging bowl. They, you know, leave it to the divine and, you know, let the divine give what he wants to give. Live with that consciousness. Yes, that is the consciousness of Shankara. That is the consciousness of Vivekananda. That is the kind of action Shirobindu would want us to live. So, I think the first step today is to have people who are willing to leave the truth. And if people can do it sincerely, I think the rest will be done. And uh, all external means of propagation are sometimes not only harmful but also dangerous to the truth. They convert it into a religion or a dogma. They repel the genuine seekers because uh, you see we may have thousands of people joining a movement but the genuine one will escape. That's the sorry part. He will become a vagabond. He'll say oh here also I don't find truth. Here also there is falsehood. He'll be repulsed. So I think that is the first step. Then next to that yes uh, if such you know people are there a group of people who are truly trying to live this light, then yes, I understand that there are many things which can be done at a practical level. But again, when we talk of practical level, I come to the same point, the Jinodhar that the temple needs is this temple. The kind of life. So we can advocate things, lifestyle, which are relevant in the light of the Vedas. We can take out, you know, books where Vedas, let's talk of Vedas, for instance, become not only sacred scriptures of the religious tradition, but how they relate to science, how they relate to health, how they relate to spirituality and how they are relevant today. You see, when we talk of health also, I mean, it's a big topic I don't want to enter because it's my field, you know, as a doctor, I'm a medical doctor. So it's a field uh, where, you know, how Vedas, it's not only about Ayurveda. If you really see the secret of the Vedas, how it relates to our everyday life of health, when Agni is lit, how it purifies everything, including our physical stuff. So these are the things, truths which we need to bring out. Unfortunately, uh, there is in this world, Anritam as of now. So there are people, but they don't have resources. Yeah? Kalyuga <laughs> is still better because it means God is working in matter. But, you know, there are people, they, there are no resources. There are resources, there are no people. Always either men are missing or resources are missing. And those who really try to live these things have a kind of attitude where they uh, don't self-project themselves. So, uh, well, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, that's God's larger plan. Uh, the self-projected ones are, you know, all over <laughs> the picture and God is hiding behind. And Shivindu used a very nice expression. Uh, God's last resort from a God's last refuge from the world's profaning touch, you know. That's why the story goes that, you know, wherever God went, he was being um, spoiled by the touch of people, you know. Everybody was wanting to reduce him to this formula, that formula. So he said, where should I hide? So he hid in the heart of man. <laughs> so we will look everywhere except here. So the first step is to realize him inside, I think. And the path to realize it should be the one which should be made into the forefront. I mean, every uh, yoga kendra or institutes should tell us not just about some rituals and practices and philosophies. They should tell us 
how we can realize that truth inside and i think shurabindu would want that i don't think shurabindu would want that okay put him and how many people worship him he doesn't want that he want this world to awaken to a new light and of course his light is available his truth is available and i'm sure those who are ready he will send the call so our task is to live that truth the rest he will look into it and and i have the faith that it's bound to happen because he has said so i want to ask you one yeah. question i'm not a great hero Yes, what would be the purpose of light descending into darkness, but to create light? So our we have descended into this darkness so that this can become a home for the wonderful and a garden of divine delight. We have entered into this suffering world so that here we can create immortality and light and bliss. That is worthy of our godliness. It's you know. we should give some respect to god he is after all almighty so he will take upon himself the most difficult problem and i think the most difficult problem he has taken is to transform man because man very readily transforms god into his image it's very easy to for me to have an anthropomorphic image of god as a big judge because i want guilty to be punished so god is the one ever busy punishing people or rewarding them like a big ceo because that's what i want if my neighbor has done some harm to me i want him to be harmed by god's curse <laughs> and i enjoy if this is told to me that you know god is a big punisher or you know he is going to reward you in some heaven or somewhere on earth but that's transforming god into human image what god wants that we should become divine and that's where i feel yesterday a point was missed you know when there was this talk about history and a history all that is fine but in india in the indian uh, dharma or you know some of this word has carries many in the sanatan dharma there is also god's personal example which is relevant to humanity and krishna says this in so many words in the gita he says that i assume this human body so that human beings can take it as a gateway and become now this is not you know uh, you know belittling the fact that uh, there are so many paths when god is assumes a human body it gives to the human being a very concrete and direct experience and his heart opens to the touch of the eternal otherwise only his mind opens to an impersonal self so it has its place and significance god assumes a imperfect human body so that one day this earthly life can become life divine so uh, the point is we are doing here we are his anshas mamay vansh and we are battling against the forces of darkness and light or rather the forces of darkness and light are battling within us therefore we find this life a field of struggle but through this struggle a greater truth the truth of immortality the truth of divinity is bound to emerge in the course of distant time not yet it is not yet there now it is only as a sacred aspiration in man and we have to find how we can discover it and incidentally one doesn't have to know vedanta or upanishad in the sense of reading it one has to discover it inside you see today we talk of vivekananda's and shurabindo's views on vedas and these are two one of the powerful authentic you know who can deny that you know kind of truth that we we in modern times of course in ancient time they were shankara and many others now what was the truth of these people vivekananda was an atheist he had not read vedas he had not read upanishads his quest was can you show me god he discovered vedanta then he spoke of it what about shurabindo shurabindo when he was in chandanagar he had this vision of goddesses who were coming here to him he saw ila he saw mehi he saw saraswati he was relating with all these gods and goddesses and he didn't know who are they and then when he read the vedas 
he found, oh, these are the experiences I am having. So Vedas is inside us and we have to, you know, there was talk about rescuing the Veda, about some uh, number of slokas being lost and it was reminding me of a story. You see how Vedas can come everywhere in a Hollywood film. The film was Bulletproof Monk. I don't know, some of us may have seen it. Now this monk has to, you know, he was a child and he is outcast from a Tibetan monastery because of Chinese invasion. And this monk has some slokas, uh, sutras written on him, with him, which can actually make man immortal. Now obviously there is a devil in the picture who wants it. Now he has, yes, he has five of, of them or six of them and the seventh one he doesn't have. So this monk carries it everywhere in a small little packet, you know, a, a rolled paper leaf, palm leaf and he, uh, you know, of all the people he gets in touch with a thief and he says, you are the one who was meant to guard this. And very interesting because, you know, monks feel very bad that how he can say that a thief is my worthy successor. And it is really true in the light of Sanatana Dharma. We have stories of Satyakam Jabali, we have stories of Ratnakar, so many stories, Anguli Mal, but let's not go into because each story is fascinating. Now this monk... Uh, you know, uh, tells him to guard, but through a twist of events, this is lost and falls into the hands of this uh, dark being. I mean, he's a human being, but wanting to become immortal. So when this is lost, this thief is very bad because he knew it's a great treasure. And he tells this monk, I'm so sorry, I lost it, I could not, you know, he's trying to explain. This monk smiles, says, okay, don't bother. He says, what do you mean, don't bother? He says, no, because they cannot use it. He says, why? He says the missing piece is written here inside. So that is the missing Veda. The lines of Veda that we have to recover are here. Until we do it, we'll just, it's okay. Sacred tradition is placed because it has preserved. We should not deny that thanks to that we can talk about the Vedas. We should also thank science. We should not totally say, you know, on one side that, you know, this Jagat is all Mithya and yet it's thanks to science that we stand here and, the, uh, you know, Swamiji travels all the way from India thanks to science and thanks to science we have these publications the recordings so everything has its place it can be used as a right instrument it can be used as a wrong instrument so there is a choice we cannot say in this world of relativities i have no choice to make i have to make a choice there is a good use of science there is a bad use of science but that good and bad is not a moral good and bad but the unfolding of the law of rith within me there is a way I can relate with this and that and many human beings and not make a very blanket statement that all are one therefore you know i can do anything with anyone like all love, you know, turning into all lust in many uh, sampradayas, it happens because, you know, we don't understand love, we don't understand the great god Mitra, so basically we have to live in that consciousness, that is the essential truth. When we begin to live, then we will discover the Veda inside. I mean, personally with me also it was very similar, that in the Vedas I literally saw that what was happening inside me and I understood, I said, oh, this is so beautiful, I never knew this. Of course, it was when the secret of the Vedas. I, I don't think, because earlier I had read the Yajur Rig and other Vedas, but I felt this is another of those scriptures with tough Sanskrit and tough explanation, tougher explanations and so with the Gita. But when you begin to live an inner life, then it becomes clear, oh, this is so true and relevant. And then you discover it will be relevant for all humanity, because it's about the inner journey of man and appearances may change. Today I am born in a Hindu body, tomorrow I may be born in a Christian body, today I am in India, tomorrow I may be born in America. Will Veda become irrelevant to me? No, it will continue because it's a journey of inner being. And that is the great relevance of the Veda that it cuts across all time and space. It's about man and his quest to become divine and make this life, earthly life divine.